This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello, and welcome to Behind the Horror. Scary movie fans such as myself will hear that a movie is based on a true story. A few of them we know, but most, well, we never go on to find out just what that true story is. So in this series, we explore and find out exactly what the true story is behind the movies we love. The 2005 movie, The Exorcism of Emily Rose, is about 19-year-old Emily Rose, an American teenager who is part of a deeply devout Catholic family. She is a happy and well-adjusted teen, but as she goes off and begins college, she starts to have hallucinations that she interprets as being demonic in nature. She begins contorting her body in extremely painful ways, as well as beginning to experience seizures. People that witness her episodes are, of course, horrified. So she visits a doctor who tells her that she is suffering from epilepsy and psychosis and is given anti-seizure medication, which unfortunately does not help her symptoms at all. So, Emily is forced to leave school and go back home to her parents' house because her symptoms are far too intense to manage. As her symptoms continue to get worse, the family calls on a priest to perform an exorcism and Emily stops all medical intervention. And as I always say, for those who have seen the movie, you know the ending, and for those who haven't, it's a really good movie definitely worth a watch. Now this movie is based on the story of a young lady by the name of Annalise Mickle. Anna Elizabeth Mickle, or Annalise, was born on September 21st, 1952 in Liebfing, Bavaria, West Germany. Her parents were Josef and Anna Mickle. Yosef, in his younger years, had originally studied to become a Catholic priest at one point, and three of Annalise's aunts had gone on to become nuns. To say this family was devoutly Catholic would be quite the understatement, but as deeply religious as her parents were, and before Yosef and Anna were married, there was a pregnancy. Anna gave birth to a baby girl that they named Martha in 1948. Martha was four years older than Annalise. This would have been beyond scandalous, and their perceived sin of it weighed heavily on the young couple. So on their wedding day, Anna had to wear a black veil as tradition demanded it due to their illegitimate daughter. Annalise was born four years later, but then, as fate would have it, eight-year-old Martha became very ill, and it was discovered that she had a tumor on one of her kidneys. She underwent surgery to remove it, 
but died from complications of that surgery, and Annalise was only four years old. But, by all accounts, Annalise's childhood was completely normal for a girl in such a strictly religious family. They were close, and it was quite clear that they loved each other dearly. But Anna also continued to carry the shame and guilt of her first daughter, so she pressured young Annalise to do penance for her mother's sin. Her mother encouraged absolute and passionate devotion for atonement. And as she got older, the young girl was becoming absolutely beautiful. I mean, she was stunning, really. She had gorgeous, dark brown, almost black hair and the most beautiful skin. She had a smile that warmed the hearts of everyone around her. But Annalise did spend a great deal of her free time withdrawn from others in penance, trying to absolve her mother as well as others of their sin. Then in 1968, when Annalise was 16 years old, seemingly out of nowhere, she had an intense seizure and was immediately taken to the hospital. There, she was diagnosed with temporal lobe epilepsy. So what does that look like? The temporal lobes of your brain are located just above your brainstem, behind your eyes, back across where the tops of your ears are, and it extends to nearly the back of your brain, but stopping where your occipital lobe starts in the very, very back. It is responsible for processing sensory information and organizing it so that we remember what we see, you know, we understand the words we hear, and interpret the emotions we feel. They are also very important for long-term memory. Temporal lobe epilepsy, according to the Epilepsy Foundation, is the most common form of focal or partial epilepsy. The seizure medications alone usually can't make the sufferer completely seizure-free, but they usually can lower the number of seizures. Then there are people who have, quote, drug-resistant temporal lobe epilepsy, and these individuals have a much higher risk of memory and mood difficulties, as well as personality changes that do intensify over time. Now, that part is important to remember. And most all of the time, the cause of this condition is not known. So the type that Annalise had usually begins when the patient is between 10 to 20 years old, but it is possible for them to start at any age. Symptoms can be as simple as feeling anxious or nauseous. Uh, some state they are able to pick up unusual smells that aren't there. Remember that as well. And they have auditory hallucinations. The more median symptoms include what we would call, you know, staring off into space, uncoordinated hand movements or even facial tics, which might last anywhere from 30 seconds to perhaps a couple of minutes. The more intense symptoms include unusual movement or posturing of one of their arms. They might begin to speak complete nonsense. The body may begin to jerk in the typical way that we've all seen when someone is having a seizure. 
Here is a quote from someone who does deal with temporal lobe epilepsy. Quote, The whole world suddenly seems more real at first. It's as though everything becomes crystal clear. Then I feel as if I'm here but not here, kind of like being in a dream. It's as if I've lived through this exact moment many times before. I hear what people say, but they don't make sense. I know not to talk during the episode since I just say foolish things. Sometimes I think I'm talking, but later people will tell me that I didn't say anything. The whole thing lasts a minute or two. Unquote. It can also cause what is known as Geschwin syndrome, which is a disorder that displays different behaviors or stages, one being hyper-religiousness, which often increases as time goes by. So there's a lot of really good information in that to remember. So after getting her diagnosis, she was given the standard medication and sent home. Annalise attempted to go back to her normal life, you know, to go back to school and carry on. Only the medication didn't work and her seizures became more frequent. So the doctors prescribed her ever-increasing doses of the medication, but it still didn't help her. The situation was, I mean, really understandably taking a toll on her mental state, and she became more withdrawn and seemed to feel a sort of hopelessness. So her parents took her back to the doctor, who ordered a psych evaluation, after which Annalise was diagnosed with depression. Then the depression she was experiencing also began to get worse, to the point that she began to have suicidal thoughts. So her parents admitted her into a psychiatric hospital for treatment, but this too was really of no help to her. Shortly after, she began complaining of having visions while she prayed, which she stated were deeply disturbing and upsetting to her. But she was told to keep taking her anti-seizure meds, her depression meds, and now her anti-psychotic meds, and then they released her. Once released, Annalise continued to go to school. In 1973, she enrolled at University of Würzburg, and her classmates described her as quiet, withdrawn, and extremely religious. The medications she was taking were not working, and Annalise said she would be in class or walking down the street, let's say, and she would watch as people's faces morphed into these horrifying demonic entities, and she was terrified. She devoted much of her time to praying, begging for the hallucinations to stop. She stated she could hear voices telling her that she was damned and to go rot in hell. Annalise was also becoming pretty frustrated with the doctors as well as the medications she took because, again, they just weren't working. It was at this point that she became convinced that she was possessed by a demon. So she and her parents began asking the Catholic Church to allow her to have an exorcism performed on her. At first, she was denied. Annalise began to display behaviors like a complete aversion to religious objects, such as, you know, looking at a crucifix. Her depression and psychosis 
worsened and she started eating insects, chewing on coal and consuming her own urine. She would rip and tear at her own clothes, claiming to hear the demons whispering in her ears and compulsively do nearly 400 squats every day or, you know, dropping to her knees in prayer every day until the ligaments were permanently damaged. She once crawled underneath the kitchen table and barked like a dog for two days, then bet the head off of a dead bird. Now she and her mother tried desperately to find priests that would perform the exorcism. And finally, in 1975, the family's third exorcism request was successful. And the rite of exorcism was granted by the Bishop of Würzburg, Josef Stengel. He then appointed local pastor Ernst Alt and Father Arnold Renz, who chose the 17th century Rituale Romanium as the basis for the exorcism. They then began the exorcisms on September 24th, 1975. Annalise told her family and the priests that she was possessed by many demons, but five of them were famously evil. They were Lucifer, Cain, Judas, Hitler, and Nero. Each, quote, demon would speak through her and her voice sounded like a very low and painful growl. The exorcisms themselves would sometimes last for hours. Annalise would stop eating and harm herself, often giving herself black eyes and bruises all over her body. The more she tore at her own hair and skin and the less she ate, the more animal-like she became and her family became scared of her. At one point, Annalise described being visited by none other than the Virgin Mary, who told her that she knew of her suffering and came to her to tell her she could either continue to let the demons possess her body and ultimately die to atone for the sins of man, or if she felt the burden too great, she would cast all of the demons out and Annalise would suffer no more. But also Annalise began another antipsychotic drug at this exact time. So whichever the reason you choose to believe, her symptoms subsided somewhat for a very short period of time. But ultimately, Annalise chose atonement. She stopped taking her meds completely. The exorcisms continued. Then the priests asked the demons why they had possessed this young woman. Annalise replied that it was due to her mother having a baby out of wedlock. She refused to eat, terrified it was contaminated by Satan himself. Then on July 1st, 1976, the now 23-year-old Annalise McHale finally succumbed to the abuse her body had endured and she unfortunately died. She weighed just 68 pounds or 30 kilos. She was severely malnourished and dehydrated. Both of her knees were broken and she had pneumonia. Her teeth were broken and her body was covered in bruises. 
She had been subjected to 67 exorcisms over the course of 10 months. After her death, the two priests, as well as both of her parents, were arrested and charged with negligent homicide. And during the trial, it was pointed out that Annalise's symptoms were far less severe while she took her medications and that she died shortly after refusing medication and her symptoms intensified greatly. Ultimately, they were found guilty, but the judge stated they had suffered enough, time served, and they were free. A nun later raised the point that if Annalise had indeed been possessed, her body within her casket would show signs of supernatural preservation. So her parents had her exhumed, but it was observed that her body was decaying as expected. So, was Annalise possessed? This would be a touchy subject to get into for sure. So I'll leave it up to you to decide. Was she truly possessed? Or did her temporal lobe epilepsy and psychosis do this? Thanks for listening. Music by Kevin MacLeod on Incompetech.com.